A big part of the Morrison government's response to COVID-19 has been allowing people early access to their superannuation. At the same time, compulsory super contributions are legislated to climb from 9.5% of wages to 12% over the next five years. We've all been told that we need to put more money into super, so letting people have access to their superannuation early sounds like a bad idea. But is it? And does it justify higher compulsory contributions? Here today on the Grattan Podcast, I have Household Finances Program Director and expert on all things retirement incomes, Brendan Coates. Welcome, Brendan. Hi, Kate. So first up, Brendan, can you give us a little background to the decision to let people access their super early? Yeah, so this is a decision that was taken in the second half of March when we knew that we were probably staring down the barrel of a recession, but I don't think it had really sunk in about just how bad it would be. Uh, so government pro- probably still at that point were worried about the budget deficit. They were worried about um, uh, not hitting their their um, their commitment to having a hitting a budget surplus for the financial year. And so the first thing that they did is essentially allow people to access up to twenty thousand dollars from their superannuation, um, ten thousand in the first half of the year, ten thousand in the second half of the year provided that you met a number of criteria, say you either were unemployed, you're eligible for things like unemployment benefit, or you'd, you'd um, either been made redundant or seen a big drop in your income. And then not long after that, we saw the big, um, the lines of uh, people outside Centrelink essentially when we, we moved into those lockdowns at the end of March that essentially threw hundreds of thousands of Australians out of work basically overnight. The motivation for the scheme in the first place was essentially the economy is going along okay, then we hit a brick wall and a lot of Australians didn't have much in the way of savings. So, you know, half of Australians had less than $7,000 in the bank, 20% had less than $500. So a lot of Australians weren't very well placed uh, to deal with the costs of a recession. Um, and the, essentially they needed the money straight away in order to keep the bills paid, uh, to make sure they could keep paying the mortgage and that's what the early release scheme really allowed them to do. So how many people have accessed this scheme? So, so far we've seen 3.1 million Australians apply to access their superannuation and they've withdrawn $32.6 billion. Um, and 1.2 million people have actually applied for both rounds. So they've applied for the first round leading into the end of June for 10,000 and then they've also applied again for some money in the second round. Um, those payments are slightly larger than what the government first forecast. So I think it was about $28 billion is expected to go out the door. Um, and we're up to $32.6 billion now, and the number is probably going to rise a bit further before the scheme ends at the end of the year. One of the co- reasons for I think the scheme has been more popular is because um, this, the, the shock to the, of the recession has been probably worse than we initially thought when they set it up. Um, and also government... Has not allowed, has not provided probably the full level of income support that you might expect. So, um, while JobKeeper, um, the wage subsidy scheme has done a lot, uh, there are quite a lot of people that are ineligible, uh, particularly short-term casuals, uh, those that um, are temporary migrants can access their superannuation, but they can't access those income support payments. And so, more people have probably accessed the scheme, the superannuation early release scheme, than you probably would have wanted to because of um, some of the gaps in that income support payments. But at the same time, what we have seen is that, you know, there's no way you could have designed a set of income support that would have perfectly met the needs of, of people um, to, ma- to match their, their uh, obligations. So 
JobKeeper, for example, is only available at the minimum wage, but a lot of people earn more than the minimum wage, you know, more than half of Australians. And so they've got obligations like their mortgages, their rent that are in line with the incomes they previously earned. And so a real value of the, the early release scheme is essentially allowing people who have additional costs or, you know, are staring down the barrel of big shocks, whether it be their small businesses struggling or whatnot, uh, being able to tap into their super to tie them over through this period. More people have probably accessed it than would have been ideal, but it still has provided really big benefits to people. The one that really worries me, um, the statistic I think really justifies the scheme is um, NAB, when they did their disclosures on the fact that um, a lot of people have been able to defer their mortgage repayments, 20% of those that have deferred their mortgages have lost more than 50% of their wage or salary income since April. And so I suspect without the super early release scheme, a lot of people would have otherwise will default on their mortgages when they have to start making those payments again, and super will be the reason why they don't. Brendan, there's been some discussion about how we should open superannuation up more for people. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Uh, well, look, there is there is an ongoing debate about whether you should be able to use superannuation for a number of different purposes, whether compulsory contributions should exist at all, um, which has been a, a view pushed by some quarters of the coalition backbench and some commentators, whether you should be able to use it for housing. Um, and I think our position is that you know, the reason why we don't need to raise compulsory super to 12% is because super at the moment at 9.5% is doing its job. It is achieving that objective of allowing people to have as good a living standing in retirement as what they have while they're working, maybe slightly more. Um, and that's kind of the right goal to aim for. And so if the super rate stays at 9.5%, then that's, you know, we shouldn't open it up anymore to, to, um, for any other purposes. Um, because if you, as soon as you breach that idea of compulsion, you will see a lot more people probably not save for enough for their retirement. Say, for example, if superannuation became voluntary. And so I think it's very clear that compulsory super should continue to exist and it should continue to exist at a rate of about where it is today. I think the interesting question about is what happens about if the super goes to 12%, uh, as is currently legislated and if that happens, then then you probably should think about whether people can access that last two and a half or three percent for some purpose. Um, you know, the debate at the moment around compulsory super, which I know we'll get into in a moment about whether it should increase, is really about who pays for it. And so, if you're in a world where superannuation um, comes from wages, which is what we think happens, um, and you're raising it to twelve percent, then you should you should think about whether people can use that last two and a half percent for some other purpose. So you've done some research previously which shows that most Australians will have a comfortable retirement with compulsory super contributions of 9.5%. Is that still the case for people who have withdrawn money from their super during the coronavirus pandemic? Yeah, so let's start with the, the, the baseline research. So we're estimating that, you know, the average Australian worker, so who earns about $55,000, with 9.5% super contributions for a 37-year working life, they'll end up with um, they'll end up replacing something like 89% of their pre-retirement earnings, um, which is above the sort of standard replacement rate benchmarks we tend to use, which are say 70% used by the OECD. So, you know, if the purpose of super is to make sure people have enough money in retirement to live as well as um, they were living while they were working to overcome these kind of behavioural biases against savings so that people don't think about the future. Super at 9.5% is doing its job. Um, when we 
as people take the early release money, that $20,000, what we find is the actual retirement income doesn't change that much. So there's been a lot of commentary that, you know, people are going to lose $100,000, $150,000. Um, and what they're, what those comments are talking about is the amount of super, the balance that you'll have at retirement will be um, substantially less. Um, now, we think the balance at retirement will be will be smaller, but it won't be anywhere near as large as those numbers. And then on top of that, um, there's an offsetting effect. Superannuation is not the only part of retirement incomes. It's actually one of the sort of main thrusts of Grattan's work in this area, uh, is that the age pension, uh, we have a means-tested age pension. As you get less super for most Australians, they'll in fact um, qualify for a higher age pension instead. So say we take a 35-year-old, that median earner, um, they take out the $20,000. What happens to their retirement income? Well, first of all, their super balance is about $58,000 lower by the time they retire at age 67. Um, but then they get a higher age pension because they qualify for more because essentially they have fewer assets. And so the actual hit to their retirement income is only about $24,000 um, or about $800 a year. So you take out $20,000 today, you lose the equivalent of $24,000 in retirement, you know, adjusting for inflation. So you're adjusting for the same purchasing power. Um, so the hit's a lot smaller than you'd think. Um, and in terms of whether they're still going to face an adequate retirement income, well, they, their retirement income falls from 89% of what they had beforehand to 88 So it doesn't really change the story all that much. It's really interesting that you point that out because I think there's a lot of talk and we immediately think it's going to be a terrible thing to take out all that money from super. But when you um, add it up with that means-tested age pension, then it actually um, isn't as big a dent as we thought it was and, and you kind of have the impression of getting. So the one thing I wanted to ask you about, and, and it was something we talked about a bit earlier, was those lines of people around the block at Centrelink. And a lot of people have lost their jobs uh, during the pandemic and they face a lot of uncertainty certainty in the coming months and even years. How does this affect people who are unemployed and maybe unemployed for some time? Well, so we've run the numbers as well. So in terms of their retirement balance on their superannuation and their retirement income, if you're retired for three, if you're unemployed for a further three years coming out the other side of this on top of taking out your $20,000, then if you're the median worker, um, you're, instead of replacing 88% um, of your pre-retirement earnings, replace 86. So again, the pension, the pension means test is quite aggressive. You know, for every for every dollar that you have, every thousand dollars extra that you have um, in assets in retirement, you lose seven dollars eighty of, of of pension every every year. And so that means, uh, sorry, every fortnight. So that means that. Um, you know, the, it's almost like pushing on a string. The, the changes that you make to your superannuation balance don't affect your retirement income all that much. Now, it is different for higher and lower income earners. So if you're at the very bottom of the income distribution and you, you say you only work for 20 years at a minimum wage, then you're probably going to end up on a full pension. Um, you won't have enough super to, to not qualify for a full, full pension. So if you take out the early release, then you'll still qualify for a full pension. You wear more of that cost up front. The same with very high income earners. Um, the challenge there, of course, that um, if you do, if, if you're worried about superannuation and you're worried about retirement incomes for low income earners, super is often not the best tool to actually help them. Um, and if you have people take out, you want to justify the early release scheme to saying that that means compulsory contributions should increase, uh, then, um, you know, that's a, that's a different trade-off. 
And we'll touch on that in a little bit, um, just talking about those low-income earners and vulnerable Australians. Even before COVID, you were arguing against the super increase to 12%. And it sounds like the pandemic hasn't changed your mind. So I'm just wondering, are you still against the proposed increase to compulsory super contributions? Uh, yeah. So I think a dangerous thing that occurs uh, when you have such enormous shock as a recession and COVID-19 is um, people tend to, to interpret it through their own priors. So you get a lot of confirmation bias. People go, well, I, what I thought was right before COVID is even more right today. Um, and in this instance, in superannuation, though, I genuinely do think that that is true. So, you know, the case for going to 12% was always very weak. Uh, one, you'd be forcing people to save for a higher living standard in retirement what they have while they're working. Um, that's obviously... Um, you know, we shouldn't. We've got to set defaults so that the so they they work best for most people. And having people save for a higher living standard than what they have while they're working doesn't make a lot of sense, particularly when it's hard to unwind the increases. So if you're forced to save more, it's hard to save less elsewhere. Um, secondly, you know, increasing compulsory super has the effect of uh, hurting the budget position both in the short and long term because the tax breaks are larger than um, the pension savings, which is another reason often given for why. Uh, super should increase. So it's worth about $2 billion a year today in extra tax breaks. And even the tax breaks exceed the pension savings out as far as 2060 based on Treasury research. You're essentially forcing people to save for a higher living standard in the future, uh, which makes them worse off today. There is a trade-off here. That is what's fundamental. Now, super early, um, so the COVID recession adds to that by saying, well, look, um, you are, you're going to force people to save more, which means it comes out of their wages, which is what the research does tend to show. Um, that's, you know, our work has suggested that something like 80% of the cost of higher weight, of higher super comes at the cost of lower wages within the first two to three years. So that's based on 80,000 enterprise bargaining agreements going back since the start of superannuation. The Reserve Bank, you know, it agrees. It says that 80% likely comes from wages of any super increase and that, uh, they're in fact worth forecasting lower wages growth going into this before this recession, um, and because super was going to go up next year than they otherwise would have. Now, the recession itself means you know you've got a you've already seen you've got a lot of people out of work. Wages growth is really low. Um, we're spending billions and billions of dollars putting money into workers' pockets or households' pockets so they go out and spend it. You know that's the classic textbook response when you have a recession. You know, in the words of Ken Henry, you go hard, you go early and go households. It's what we did during the GFC and what we've done now. Now, the trouble is super contributions go in the opposite direction. You're sucking money out of the economy, um, reducing household spending power in the middle of a recession. And that impact is quite large. So, you know, it only starts off being about $3 billion a year next year. But by 2025, you're talking 15 to $20 billion extra compulsory super contributions, which is, you know, bordering on more than half percent, close to 1% of GDP. Um, and that means you've got less money in the economy. Um, that's going to slow down the pace of the recovery. And we're forecasting, and the official forecasts are for a long recovery. So Treasury is expecting unemployment to be above 6%, so a full percentage point higher than what it was pre-COVID, as far out as 2025, when compulsory super is scheduled to hit 12%. And by the time it hits 12%, um, that's $15 to $20 billion a year in money being sucked out of the economy. That's the same size as the stage three tax cuts. Um, that are legislated to come in that year. So it is a really sizable impact. And it's why, you know, when the uh, the Economic Society of Australia runs their national economic panel of, of leading economists, 
they were asked what should happen to the SG increase. Uh, and two thirds said um, either it should be deferred or abandoned. Um, uh, basically for these reasons, that it would lift the savings rate in the middle of a recession when that's the exact opposite of what we want to do if we want people spending to get support the recovery and get people back into work. That's right. And we do want people to be spending money in the economy and uh, building up those businesses that have been impacted. So it sounds like a very compelling argument for why not to increase the super guarantee to 12%. Finally, I just want to touch on that question we were talking about before. I mean, especially in regards to vulnerable Australians, if increasing compulsory super isn't the answer, what are some of the ways that we can help in their retirement? The fundamental challenge here that though there are a, a large number of people that do struggle in retirement, they're overwhelmingly those that rent. Um, so they're in financial stress in retirement and they're in even more financial stress before they retire. Um, so that's why super won't help them because even though they'll have a higher retirement income, it'll make them even poorer beforehand. So the the, the simple answer is, you know, the, the, the arm of the retirement income system that's supposed to avoid poverty is, uh, sorry, the retirement income system that's supposed to avoid poverty is income support. So the, the fact that people are in poverty and retirement is because of the inadequacy of those supports. So the number one priority is boost the rate of rent assistance, which is the payment that goes to um, pensioners that rent. Um, it's essentially not kept up with increasing rents over the past two decades because it's only benchmarked to the rate of inflation and rents have increased faster. So increasing that by 40%, which is basically enough to raise you know, rent assistance by close to $1,500 a year um, would be the number one thing you could do. It'd be really well targeted. It'd cost about $300 million if you did it for retirees or more appropriately, you do it for everyone, including those of working age who receive that payment and it's cost you close to $1.5 billion. Um, that would be the number one thing to do. The other thing that we really need to do is there is a big problem of, um, of people who are approaching retirement. They often struggle to find work um, and they end up on on unemployment benefits that are very clearly inadequate. So the other thing is to boost the job seeker payments. Um, you know, the government has done that during the COVID-19 recession. They've put in place this extra $550 coronavirus supplement. Uh, we think that as that supplement is removed, it should be replaced with a permanent increase of at least $100 a week. Now, you could argue for a higher increase. If you want it to be, to, for, that, for those people to be not in, in formal definitions of poverty, it's probably got to rise by $180 a week, which is a very substantial increase. And those two things, uh, re increasing rent assistance, increasing job seeker for those that are approaching retirement would do by the, the most to help people who are otherwise at risk of poverty and without impoverishing them further before they retire. In fact, it would help them before they retire as well. I think that's a great note to end it on. Um, I really hope that we can help people out of poverty in their retirement. And thank you so much, Brendan, for your insights into super. I don't know anyone that knows more than you about the particular issue. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please keep the conversation going on Twitter at Grattan Inst and on social media, Grattan Institute. If there's a topic you'd like us to discuss on the podcast, please get in touch at media at grattan.edu.au. Grattan Institute is a non-profit organisation and we do rely on donations from our wonderful listeners. If you would like to support us financially, please go to grattan.edu.au forward slash donate. As always in these strange times, please take care and thanks for listening. <laughs>